right, welcome back. What a great couple of songs, a great uh, interview with Dr. Bender. Thank you to all those that are on the front lines. Uh, what a great song with pictures to just remind us that this is what it's all about, really. What, what we, why we do this family cast, why we gather, why God brings us together is for one another. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that here, but just a good reminder that we're, we're going to rise up. That's what the resurrection teaches us, that life is a series, actually, of death and resurrection. That is the heart of Christianity, that you cannot actually have life without death and that beauty of the resurrection. And so uh, hopefully that was encouraging to you. I know for me, like I've seen that many times, Mm. but just watching all the families and uh, all the folks at our crossroads, just kind of a reminder that uh, we'll get through this and that God has given us each other uh, and that's what active hope is, right? So uh, we want to get into our conversation today, yeah. which is one that I will monopolize. Um, <laughs> I recognize that. Okay. <laughs> the family cast version of a sermon um, conversation. If you're a talk notes person, you can go over to uh, crossroadscolorado.com slash resources and uh, download uh, your conversation guide, the talk notes there. You're also, it's on you version as well. So if you're watching on your TV and you want to follow along, all the verses will be up on the screen. We've been in this series called Framily Practice, where we are exploring what are some things that we can do in our everyday shelter in place life Hmm. to bring hope to one another, to live out this gospel message and to survive the ones we're stuck with, right? And our anchor verse for this series, Hmm. comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven that says love never gives up love never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance mm. what a great picture of the resurrection too that uh, that love endures through every circumstance even death right so today we're going to obviously we want to talk about the resurrection we want to talk about its impact uh, in our lives uh, but here's the kind of question to get us going mm. uh, or statement and then question like the reality is we all have encounters with people and we all have events in our lives that affect our lives at differing levels right um, we all have those events those things so what is a person or an event that affected you mm. Right? What is a person or an event that had an impact on your life? That's kind of the question for a moment. Maybe you think about this uh, in your living room. If there's somebody there with you, you might want to answer that question, ignore what we're saying. But, um, you know, Rod, what's a, what's a person or an event that had a, an impact in your life, positive or negative? I think, Ryan, when you ask a question like that, you might get the run the air of the Oscar list that you forget somebody because there's so many people. So obviously my wife, my parents, and some key friends. <laughs> right. But I think if I had to think of an event and a person, I would think about 10 years ago when I had my life plan done. And on this particular occasion, uh, the gentleman, Michael, facilitated this for me. I was going through a period of transition. And he really elevated my thinking to see beyond what I was holding on to of what I thought was best for me. And he challenged me to think better, to think bigger. Mm. And as a right, that precipitated my move here to Colorado. Uh, For a long time, I was stuck that I had to stay in California, uh, which is a place I was born and I love. But uh, he forced me to going through a series of exercises to think differently. Mm. And it's been all the better as a result. You know, I can't, that really was a turning point in my life for my family, myself personally, even uh, vocationally, all aspects. So if I think back to that. Oh, fascinating. How about you, Jess? Um, Growing up, my er, I mean, an early formative person in my life was our church music director. He was my piano teacher. Um, his name was David Ed, and he was an eccentric big liver. Mm. And so I think from an early age, I saw somebody who lived big 
as an artist, a music pastor, a musician, an educator, um, dancer, all those things. Mm. Did he teach you how to do that outfit change that fast? <laughs> yeah. Back to my jumpsuit and then back to the red dress. Yeah. Like yeah. We, it's interesting that both of your stories are like mm-hmm. in your mind brings you to these uh, people that have really sh- shaped the trajectory, right? And that, that's so often what it is when we encounter a person, they, they give us an example or they example, speak a truth yeah. into us. I think in my life, Wendy and I were at a place maybe 13, 14 mm. years ago where we had been at a church for about eight years and it had been a great place of ministry for us, but we felt things happening and shifting and we didn't know what. And so we just thought, let's hit the pause button we flew and spent some time with a mentor of ours and actually the first pastor we worked with. And uh, we're just kind of wrestling through what was it like to have a conversation around the stirring in our souls with the people we were working with. And there was some nervousness there. Didn't know how people would respond. And I'll never forget, this was maybe even 15 years ago now. I'll never forget, he said, uh, well, what's the worst thing that could happen to you if you have the conversation? And so we, I kind of said through it. Okay, well, here's the, here's the worst thing that can happen. And then he said, well, what's the best thing that can happen? And I laid out the best case scenario and I'll never forget. He just looked right at me and he said, uh, you can do better than that. Mm. And that was all that I needed was just that word in my life, Mm. that one thing. And it just was so powerful that I just felt this like release to have somebody speak hope and speak life into into Mm -hmm. our circumstance, which was amazing. And that's really, in a sense, what the resurrection did for so many that first Easter morning, right? In Matthew chapter 28, um, if you want to read through it, I, I feel like you... It's like it's sacrilegious not to read the Easter story. And we're going to look at a lot of kind of scripture verses today, but I want to start with this story to look and you can see the impact that the resurrection, that an encounter with an event, the resurrection, but also a person that resurrected Jesus. Matthew chapter 28 says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, like we could just walk through this passage and have like no notes and pull out so much stuff. But I don't want to do that because I really want to get into something, (laughs) something, (laughs) the impact effect. But it says, a new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And uh, suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes, his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a deep faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said what happened, come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Then a few verses, it says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. It says, as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them and they ran to him and they grasped his feet and they worshiped him. I love it. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Mm. Right? Like this experience that the women had brought fear, brought mm. joy, brought this huge mix of emotions. I mm. wonder if they were like, nobody's going to even believe us, right? I mean, a very powerful uh, 
turn of events that the first people that Jesus appears to are women, that they bear the witness. I mean, it's it's so much there. And a few verses later, it says that the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And they then encountered Jesus and they worshiped him. First time the disciples actually worshiped Jesus, right? Worshiped Jesus, but some of them doubt it. What a mix of emotions. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Like everything changes now. I've been given authority. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, the resurrection upended their life, turned it around. It was a sending moment. It didn't pull them out of the world. It sent them into the world. So teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So powerful, right? So amazing that like teach people my commandments, right? Everything had been teach people the commands of Moses, teach people the Bible mm-hmm. that they had, teach me, and I'm with you. All authority has been given to me. So it's a huge event and we can see in their lives how it changed, right? We can read the stories of history. So many of them gave their lives uh, for this cause, for this message of hope. They faced intense persecution. But if I'm honest, Right, the real tension for me is for like such a massive event that splits our world that this resurrection, like mm. a dead person comes back to life and doesn't die again, right? For, for those of us who say we believe in, whatever that means, right? That we believe in the resurrection. It seems to me that it really has little effect on us. Mm. And I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to be a downer. Right, I'm really not, but but when I look at my life, yeah. I think, wow, does it? Do I really? Do I really believe it? Like, do I really own it? And so I started imagining, like, what does it look like for a life to have really encountered the resurrection, truly encountered the resurrection? Because we all have these experiences with people, and they shape us, or they inform a direction. Sometimes they even destroy us. And I started to think, like, that's a harsh word. But in some ways, that's what the resurrection did. It destroyed these disciples' lives, the course, the trajectory that they were on. And wow. it, it didn't just change or, or provide meaning. Or, I mean, it destroyed and created a framework for everything could be rebuilt. Mm. And one of those people that this happened to was a guy named Paul. And that's actually what I want to do for the next few minutes is just talk a little bit about the way the resurrection affected Paul. Right. I mean, so if you're not familiar with the story of Paul, just the background is his name used to be Saul. He was a rising star in Judaism around the time of Jesus and Jesus's death. He saw the emergence of a group of people within Judaism turn away from a way of thinking about Judaism through the law of Moses and start following this Jesus. He assumed and he thought the problem with Judaism, what's keeping God from moving are the Christians, are the people who are following after this Jesus. So he started a a program of intense persecution, arresting. Uh, He was there for the first martyr, Stephen. We find that in this story in the book of Mm -hmm. Acts. But Saul has this amazing encounter with the risen Jesus uh, on his road, on this, this encounter called the road to Damascus. And you can read about this in the book of Acts. But basically he's, he's riding along, he's got his group of persecutors and all of a sudden he experiences this bright light. He's thrown off of his horse, he's blinded and he hears the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Mm. 
and he doesn't know what's going on. And he has this amazing experience that truly affects him at his very core. And I'd like to look at some of Paul's letters that he wrote later on. Probably some of these letters were written 30 or 40 years after that initial encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And see if we can't see how the resurrection really affected Paul at his core. Right, so the first thing that I see is that the resurrected Jesus, that encounter affected Paul's value system. We all have value systems. They're the things that inform our identity. They're the things that inform the way we spend our time and talent. And they come to us usually from external sources. And Paul had a value system. His value system was his career. Uh, his value system was his, his, his working hard and becoming a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says. He talks about his education. And in his letter to the Philippians, a, a church that he helped start in a province in an area known as Philippi, he wrote this letter to them and he talks about this immense change in what he would value in his life. And in Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 11, listen to what Paul says about how his values changed. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. He had just gone through this big, huge list of everything that was that like he could puff himself out about, like his education. Uh, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, like educated by the right people. He was on the fast track, right? Uh, and he says, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. All the things I've done are now worthless because of what Christ has done, namely his death and resurrection. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm like super challenged by this idea because would I actually say that everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus? Like if I had to give up is there anything I wouldn't want to give up if it meant knowing Jesus better? And that's a challenge because I think there are areas of my life, there are things that I value that I get my identity from that it would be hard if I felt a whisper from God that said, if you give this up, you'll get to know Jesus better. And I'm like, well, I kind of know Jesus well enough. <laughs> right? But Paul's like everything. He says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness, my, like that value that came out of his faith, out of his religion, that if I do the right things, if I believe the right things, if I say the right things, then I'm good. I'm, I'm good with God. He says, I don't count on that anymore, but I become righteous through faith in Christ by putting my hopes, my vocation, my value in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then this is the killer, right? This is the complete value shift. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Like, I honestly think that that was the core of Paul's being. Like once he had that encounter with the resurrected Jesus, he knew it, he walked away from it. And all of a sudden his value changed. Like I want to experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Even to the point he says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Mm. So we see in Paul's letter, this reality that, man, when he encountered the resurrected Jesus, 
the values shifted. Everything changed. A second thing we can see from the resurrected Jesus was that that his encounter with this resurrected Jesus affected Paul's categories of people, right? Now, here's a quick question, bring you all into the conversation that I've monopolized long enough. What are some categories of people in our world right now? What are ways that we categorize people? Well, there's economic, I would say, um, ethnicities. Those yeah. are the common ones. We use things like rich and poor, poor. or middle class, upper class. We use things like black, white, Asian, right? These are categories that people live in, right? Think of any other ones. Educated, uneducated. Educated, mm-hmm. uneducated, yeah. You know, I think those are some. Um, and of course, when we get into the school system, you have all those classifications, right? Oh, yeah. You have uh, the geeks, the nerds, jocks. Yes, like social. Social. Yeah. Like identities yeah. around yep. hobbies and social interests. Identity. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, one of our like major uh, categories is sexual identity. Like the way in which a person understands themselves, their personhood when it comes to their sexuality. These are all categories. And these Married, are- single parents. Yes, like parents. marital status. Parents, not parents. That's My great. Stages, like. Yep. Uh, what it, you know, the way we define a family, absolutely. Yep. And these are all categories that in a sense help us understand and give us an identity, but they also divide us, right? Mm. And or make people feel divided. Make people feel divided, absolutely. Right. And we leverage them oftentimes right. to make ourselves feel better about who we are based mm-hmm. on belief systems, structures, things like that. We may accidentally isolate people out too. Yeah, yeah. Not intentionally. Uh, categories oftentimes yep. produce stereotypes. Right, the way we just kind of think of everybody if you fit in this category. Also safety. Safety, I am a part of this group. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Yeah, and th- those are the things that, the categories that Paul had in his day, right? They were based upon religion as a Jew. It was, there were Jews and there was everybody else and everybody it, else had some serious problems. On here on problems. Facebook, there's Christian or not, yep. gay, straight, right? Yeah. Absolutely, all those. And those are the same kind of categories that Paul would have had in his life that defined maybe even more so than us. Like in in his culture, there was categories that presented clean and unclean and you couldn't be around them. And in his letter to the Galatians, we see how this reality that like Christ, the risen Christ, changed the way he thought about categories. Mm. Galatians chapter three, he says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Mm. Jesus. Like, first of all, there's one category. There's, there's putting your faith in Christ Jesus, right? There's putting your hope in Christ that defines you. And then he says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism, like baptism is this outward expression of a inward realization that God has called me, that God is working in my life. He says, you've, you've gone through that, right? You've put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So now there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, that this world is gonna give you a view. This world is gonna, just like the world gives us values, this world is gonna put a label on you. It's gonna put a category on you. And when we live in the world, it's easy to become a part of the world and exist within those categories. But the resurrected Jesus said, "Mm -mm, this isn't how we're gonna function. Mm. And so the community of faith for Paul was a community that was not based upon your religion, It wasn't based upon your ethnicity. It wasn't based upon your gender. All these things that set boundary markers, it was based, the dividing line was in Christ, not in Christ. And the call that everyone can be in Christ, which brings us to a place of the ability to love one another across those boundary Mm -hmm. lines. The last thing that we see that's probably the most fundamental, earth-shattering shift that happens because Paul encounters this resurrected Jesus is that the resurrected Jesus affected Paul's religious convictions. Hmm. And by this, I mean, 
I actually think it affected Paul's very understanding of the nature of God. That Paul kind of grew up in a faith tradition, was a leader in it, was on the fast track to like rule it. And everything that he considered timeless about God shifted. And it's huge. And the book of Galatians is one of the most important letters that we have to understand this massive shift. If, if you are kind of new to faith or if you've been around faith for a long time, it's a great letter to read with this eye to say, what has happened? Because it's a group of people that have kind of walked away from legalism. They've listened to this message of the gospel that says, you're, you're never gonna be made right. You're never gonna think of yourselves as right with God through your good works. There's just, there's too much about our world that is broken. Mm. It's only through understanding Christ. It's only mm. through a gift of God. But they had been tricked and they were walking back into a way of law. And so he writes this letter to call them back to the resurrection, mm. to call them back to Jesus. And Galatians chapter five, verse 11, and then verses 16 through 18, he says, dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised. Now, circumcision was the first like sign of the covenant. Like this means you are a Jew, you are under the law. Um, it says, as soon as I say I do, why am I still being persecuted? As soon as some say, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? In other words, Paul used to preach that you needed to be circumcised, but he's had a realization, a change in theology, an evolution of thought that you don't anymore and he's persecuted for it. He faces pain. I mean, that's a massive shift. Like you would have never heard Paul or Saul, you know, 30 years earlier saying this. He would have been out persecuting people who were saying these types of things. He says, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. Hmm. But everybody in his religious tradition is deeply offended by this message because it's just too easy. It's not fair, right? Mm -hmm. Hmm. And then he goes on in verse 11 and he says, so I say, this is the massive shift. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. For his whole life, his whole career, it's been the law of Moses guide your life. His Bible, the Bible guide your life. Follow it, follow the rules, follow the religious leaders, what they tell you to do. He says, but no, now I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves because your sinful nature is evil. It wants to do evil. It's just the opposite of what the spirit wants to do. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants to do, right? That's what's going on here. So there's this war of two forces, Paul says. They're fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Isn't that crazy to think like Paul's come to this realization that the law of Moses somehow inhibits our ability to do the good things that we want to do. Mm. That, and that, that is crazy. Like following the rules inhibits us in some ways of doing good because we, we, we like, like Jesus says, you have allowed the law to become an opportunity to do evil, to neglect the weightier things of justice and mercy. And so all this has hit his heart in the resurrection of Jesus. And so now he's saying, don't be guided by the law. You don't have to be guided by the law. The law is just going to convict you, but be directed by the Holy Spirit. Because when you're directed by the Holy Spirit, this is so, we don't get it, but it's so places. You are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Mm. Mm. Not under obligation. To hear a Jewish leader, a Pharisee, a pastor say, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. It's like saying, you're not under obligation to the Bible. Mm. And for a lot of us mm. who grew up 
around the church and with the Bible as this source of rule for faith and conduct. That's hard to hear, but that's what's happening here. And it's not that Paul would say that the law of Moses is useless. It's not that he would say that it's not powerful, but he would say you don't live under obligation to it. So you can't use it as an excuse to not love. And if you read through in Galatians chapter two and five, all of this, he says that it all boils down to love your neighbor. He's, he's received all of this. And so here's the thing, the point that I'm desperately trying to make, probably poorly, but trying to, <laughs> is that the resurrection affects our worldview. Mm. Mm. Because it frees us from this world's views of ourselves, others, and God. When we see Paul's life and how it's affected by the resurrection, these three massive areas that form our identity and form the way we interact with the world are completely destroyed. And now the opportunity for something beautiful and wonderful and life-giving mm. is, is able to grow and flourish, right? The way he understood himself, his value system, the way he saw others, the categories, and even the way he understood God all shifted and changed. So the big question is, what does this mean for you and me mm. today in the midst of COVID-19, our shelter-in-place life? And this has been the big struggle for me with Easter this year. And this mm. message is, how, what does the resurrection have to do with today in this moment? And, and the reality is it's about freedom. Like the resurrection constantly has to pull us back into if Jesus lived and said the things he said about the law and said the things he said about God, and then he dies, cursed by God is what everybody believed, but then comes back to life. It's proven that what Jesus said is true and right and more accurate than the law of Moses. I love what Brenda said here. You cannot use the law as an excuse not to love. Yeah. And that's, that seems to be what Jesus was always saying. Like, this is the problem. You've thought it's about following the law and you've missed it. And all of that shifts for one who was the greatest rule follower in the history of rule following, Paul. Yes. And so here's, what I, I, here's the practice. So we're talking about a practice every day. This is kind of weird. I don't know if it'll translate, but here it is. I want to encourage you to practice lawlessness with your family. Wow. Be a lawless space. Practice lawlessness and find freedom in not having any rules. But here's the thing Paul says in Galatians, you don't, you don't let your freedom give you license to do evil. But to love, serve one another. But to serve one another. Love, use your freedom to serve one another. So, so, and this has to translate. You have to translate this into your family, right? So if you have little, little kids, yes. there's a difference between laws and rules and guidance. And, and like, we need laws to form functioning societies, right? But when it comes to relational things, like, in, and God is ultimately relational, love flowing through us. How can you establish and move to a space of lawlessness where the rule and everything is based upon this question, what does love ask of me in this situation? Mm. It's like, and I think that's fundamentally what the transformed life is all about is to say, I have freedom. I don't have any obligations to any religious system. I don't, I, I've come to space. I don't believe I have any obligation to any religious system or way of life. Like I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I don't have to give in the offering. I don't have to read my Bible every day. I don't have to do any of those things. God does not require that of me to be right. I just, but, but what is asked of me, what is revealed in the resurrection is, what does love demand? And my obligation is to love. Like that's what it means mm. to have the mind of Christ. And I think that's what we see in Jesus all the time is his response to love a person, to love people in a system. 
Well, and it's interesting in the every in this everyday shelter in place life, we've really lost a lot of structure. Yeah. It has, you know, get you out of the house by seven in the morning and you're running to all these activities till eight at night, right? So we've lost some of this. We have an opportunity to live into becoming, you know, even in our homes, sharing love and being people of influence, depending on their ages. Yeah. Right, like you said, if they're very young, there might need to be more structure. But if our kids are older teenagers, to position ourselves into people of influence in their life right now. It's amazing how like this question speaks into every situation in life. Mm -hmm. What does love require of me when it comes to what I eat? Yes. If I'm gonna love myself, what does love require of me when I think about exercise? What does love require of me if I'm 16 years old and I'm thinking about what time to go to bed? (laughs) Yeah. What does love require of me when I'm done at the dinner table and there's dishes that need to be done? Mm. What does love mm. ask of mm-hmm. me? Mm. And this, this is the like, destruction of life that the resurrection brings mm. to us. It releases mm. us from law-based thinking. It says, it's not my night to do the dishes. What is that? That's a law, a rule that I can follow to neglect loving someone. It's not my night. It's not my chore. It's mm. not my turn. Right. And Jesus says, what, what am I going to get for this? Yeah. Do I get a dollar for this? Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. And, and the only way to move into this freedom is to come to this, what I think is the converting moment of our lives, mm. is to find this truth that love meets our needs, not God's requirements. Mm. That love asks us to do things and anything that love asks us to do is about meeting a need in my life or the life of my neighbor, but certainly not meeting a need in the heart of God. And that's the way we think about religion. We tend to think about things like worship, prayer, repentance, giving in the offering, serving on a team. We tend to think about those are God's laws. God demands us of this for God to be happy. But the reality is all of those things are given to us as gifts so that we might learn to love love. and that we might love. And it's for the benefit of one another. I love that lyric in that song that says all we need is hope and for that we have each other. Mm. To me, mm. that's salvation. Like that's mm. what God has revealed is that, that mm. he's flowing, God, pardon the pronoun, but God is flowing mm. through us when we love. That's how God is made present. And so mm. when I worship, I worship because it's a call to love and it helps me love. It trains me in love. I think that's why that's given to us. And mature religion moves us from have to's to get to's. It moves us from you better give mm. in the offering to well love to demands give. that I share and I get to give and I get to create spaces where where uh, children mm. hear the gospel mm. and experience hope and love and I get to create ministries that feed people and I get to be a part of these mm. things. So so I've come to this space that anything that I used to consider or that religion used to consider a command of God, I look at it and I, and I ask the question, well, well, what does it do for me? <laughs> I know it seems like, a, mm. but that's what, because God's always about mm. my health, my growth, my becoming more loving. Because here's what I think I discern in the life of Jesus and in the life of Paul is that an untrained soul will choose self-preservation over love when faced with suffering. Mm. In the moment when suffering hits our lives, if we have not trained our soul, we will choose self-preservation. That's what Peter did in the book of Galatians when he starts to, go back into the ways of the law. It Mm. says that he was eating freely with with Gentiles and then some Jewish leaders show up that that could destroy his reputation. And so he what? He goes back to the categories. See, fear, right? 
Mm. But if, if the soul is trained, and how is the soul trained? Through disciplines like worshiping, gathering for worship, through disciplines like giving, through prayer, through repentance, all these things train the soul for the moment of suffering. And when the moment of suffering comes, the soul, the soul that's trained in love, I believe will choose self-sacrifice over self-preservation. Mm. And that's what we see in Jesus. Mm. This perfect soul trained in perfect love. And that's actually when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's actually talking about love in that moment. Mm. We've twisted it and turned it into moral perfection, but he's actually talking about the love of God. And he says, so be transformed and be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, meaning be love in that perfection. Mm. And it, and it matters. It matters deeply because it puts hope into a category that is not passive, but is active. It puts it into a space where mm. now I'm called to live this dangerous hope that puts mm. me in the middle of suffering, that puts me in the middle of everything. It's interesting in Galatians, when Paul talks about like his abandonment of the law and, and the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders accepting him as an apostle, they say, there's one thing you need to do is care for the poor. And Paul says, I was eager to do that. And I've always been eager to do that. Like that's the, that's the summation of it. It's like, Paul, yeah, that's fine. Like don't fall away any of the Jewish law, but just please care for the poor, right? Well, love requires of that. But here's what I believe in my core and what I think the Lord has been teaching us and me for a long time. And I'm just trying to get a hold of it is that when we practice lawlessness, like when I abandon religion and I embrace this relationship with you and with you and with mm. every person on this planet and that that is the extension of God and love, then I can become a way maker. I can become a miracle yeah. worker. I can become a light in the darkness because that is what love is. And so we're gonna wrap up our Easter experience, yeah. our family cast with this song in just a moment called Waymaker. Mm. And I do believe the song that, that God is this way maker, but I don't believe it in the sense that I sit back and wait for it to happen. I believe it in the sense that that's what love is. And that when I functionally self-sacrifice, the resurrection changes my desires, changes my values, changes the way I see myself, changes the way I see others, changes the way I understand God, then I am free to love in such a way that produces miracles, that lights up the darkness, because that's what love is. And so I, I've, I talk about this a lot these days, but I listen to the popular worship songs that are out there and some of the songs we sing. And I, first of all, I think that prayer and worship is user-friendly. Like, I just, I don't believe that, like, I just don't believe that God is like, oh, you got that theology wrong. You know, I, I think that that one song that we sang, the line that said, um, when Jesus hears worship, uh, when we hear worship, Jesus hears faith. Hmm. Like, I think that's really poignant yeah. and, and true. There's a truth there. Mm. And so I don't want to become legalistic about music, right? Mm. But I do try to look at lyrics and say, can I replace the word God with the word love and the song makes sense? Mm. And if that happens, then I go, this song has a deep truth to it. And so in this song that we're going to hear and sing together in just a moment, it says, you're a way maker, a miracle worker, a light in the darkness. My God, mm. that is who you are. And I actually think the song is better if we were to sing, love is a way maker, a miracle worker, a light in the darkness, because that is what love is. Like you are, you are a way maker. You are a miracle mm -hmm. worker. You are a light in the darkness because that is what love is. And I think there's something so true. And, and I get to do that because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Amen. Mm. Because of that, I can, ex and, and I can receive what God is doing through me. I can, I can be destroyed and be rebuilt 
And I can walk into this with confidence that it's not about rule following. It's about loving one another. Mm -hmm. So here's the question before we sing this song is what is God inviting you into today? I want to offer the invitation of baptism. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to talk much about baptism, but mm. I, I love baptism, not from a legal standpoint. I don't believe you have to be baptized. I, I believe in baptism because it is a, a symbol that is so powerful that says, I recognize that God has called me out that God has brought me into his care and kindness and is bringing everybody else. And I've got this gift of faith and I want the world to know that I'm about this new life of love. And so if you've never been baptized and you're interested in that, I would encourage you on your digital connect card to make that next step, to just put a comment in there. I'd like to get baptized, send an email to me. Um, and, and we wanna work through that. And I know we're in COVID-19. And so we're not gonna be doing baptisms in the next week or two, but we'd love <laughs> to get that process going and oh, share that moment and celebrate awesome. the understanding that God is yeah. present in my life. Amen. Cause that's what faith is. It's a gift where God says, hey, and we open our eyes and then we walk trustingly mm-hmm. into it. I want to encourage everybody to read this letter to the Galatians and to reread it. Read it slowly. Read it in different translations. You can do that on mm-hmm. BibleGateway.com. You can get just about every translation from the message, which is a paraphrase mm-hmm. to really literal translations. And, and just read it and don't get caught up if there's a, pat, a part of it that's like foreign, you don't understand it, let it go. But just read it and say, Lord, what are you mm-hmm. speaking to me? What can I What can I?" bring out of this for me. And I think we might be surprised uh, what God does. So as this song is uh, being played, I encourage you to sing along. I encourage you to accept the resurrection into your life and let it affect you over and over again, every day, every corner. Let it affect your values. Let it affect the way you view others. Let it affect the way you view God. So fill out your Mm -hmm. digital connect card. It's a great space to set up appointment with care ministers. You can put prayer requests in there. And uh, we're receiving our offering at this time as well. So you can give online. Uh, You can use the offering envelopes that you have there as well. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving out a freedom and not law. Because I mean, that's just oppressive. But thank you out of giving out a vision and need. It's so, so powerful that we're able to support one another through our giving. So as we sing this song, as you hear it, internalize it and trust that through the resurrection, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, that you can be a way maker, that you can be a, a, a promise keeper, that you can light up the darkness in someone else's world by embracing love. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that we can gather in sacred spaces called homes and experience your presence. Thank you for this life of Paul that we can see how a life really submitted to the resurrection can be affected in powerful ways. So we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to love. May we do everything in love, not out of compulsion, but with a spirit that looks towards how we might be a miracle worker in your name. Amen.